0: To the Last Gen Podcast brought to you by Miracle Word Ministries. These episodes are specifically created with students in mind. More than ever before, we must know why we believe what we believe, build strong faith, and stay on fire for God. We know that Jesus is coming soon, and we're going to live like this is the last generation. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast today. My name is Pastor Alex, and today I'm reacting to a story of a 17-year-old girl who was bitten by demons. This girl right here was possessed by the devil, and you're gonna hear how Dr. Lester Sumrall dealt with this demon possession. This is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard in my life, and it's a real faith builder, so I want you to stick around to the end to see what the result of this uh, deliverance was. We're going right into Dr. Lester Summerall. Uh, the, the video is A Man of Faith and Destiny. So right before we get into it, I want to kind of let you in on who this man, Dr. Lester Summerall, is. This man is someone who pioneered the faith movement. Um, he was such a general in the faith. And it, again, like like last week, my fear Is that our generation doesn't know these generals in the faith so it's my goal to introduce these generals or reintroduce these men of god back to my generation so that we don't lose their legacy um lester summerall this title of this video could not be more perfect on his tombstone it was his desire and it actually happened that on his tombstone is written a man of faith Lester Summerall. Here lies Lester Summerall, a man of faith. That's exactly what he was. If you listen to his story and you listen to all all the parts of this series, he had a crazy story, man. He grew up in a preacher's home, Christian home. He grew up um, with Christian parents that loved the Lord. He wanted nothing to do with God. He was uh, very opposed to the gospel because because they were a Christian family, they would always have missionaries and evangelists come over and uh, the evangelist kids would always stay in his room and he despised that. And he really was just a rough, rough kid. He actually always was a rough man, even after he was saved, but even more so then. He would always tell uh, people how much he disliked uh, Christians and how much he disliked uh, evangelist kids and, and just believers in general. He wanted nothing to do with God. One night, he was dying of tuberculosis, and in his bed, the doctor said he's got one day to live. You're gonna. You, he filled out the the time of de- he filled out the death certificate, laid it on the foot of his bed, and left the time blank, and said to his mom, "Fill out the uh, time of death when you find that he's dead, and I'll be at my office, and you can bring the death certificate to me." So. Lester Somerall was dying at the age of 17 with tuberculosis, coughing up his lungs. Uh, he, would, he would wake up every, every morning with blood on his pillow, covered, covered in blood, and he was dying. And w- this final night that he had, the night he was supposed to die, he, he tells of the story. He wakes up in the middle of the night, and he's having a vision. And on one side of his bed, he sees a massive coffin. And it was, it was massive, took up his whole side of his room. And he knew that that was his coffin, that he was going to die. So he saw the vision of the massive coffin. That was on his left side. But on his right side, he saw a vision of a massive Bible. It's either the coffin or the Bible. And God spoke to him and said, Lester, you're either going to preach or you're going to die. He says, if you don't preach the gospel with your whole life, you will die tonight. And Lester Sumrall picked Preaching the gospel. And so he lived a full life of story after story after story, started at 17, um, and just has a great legacy. This story will blow your mind. So watch to the end. This is Lester Summerall and the story of uh, Clarita Villanueva, a girl bitten by devils.
1: Well, I was building this beautiful church. It was the biggest church in the Orient, uh, you know, Protestant church at that moment, They're bigger ones now, but it was, it was a big one for those people. And, and so as I was building this thing, uh, a little girl in, in jail. In Billy Bid prison was bitten by something she couldn't see she, she said look like a, mon- a monster a great big man and, and he would bite her on the arm the back of her neck her shoulder her buttocks the back of her leg and, and could bite her in six places at one time and she'd be bitten all over and the doctors in Billy Bid prison there were six doctors on, on the staff they let the newspapers in because that's what you're supposed to do and so it was all over the world about the devil biting a girl in, in the prison they hadn't they had they'd gotten back three thousand cables mostly from india and japan and korea and, and places uh, where they were understood demon power and so uh, they didn't know what to do and frightful things would take place a medical doctor came to her one day and says you you're playing up you're playing up to the press you, you want your picture in the newspaper and all she looked at him and said you would die the next day he was dead they buried him a doctor the, the head jailer there a beloved prison kicked her with his foot because sometime uh, she she was obnoxious he kicked her with his foot she said "You would die four days later they buried him now these people didn't get sick they just died they just they, they just died you know and so fear came over the city saying who's next who's going to die next now i was so busy with this church until i hadn't read a single newspaper <laughs> I, it was only headlines the mayor the mayor of the city went to see it and got so frightened he ran for his life ran out of there even six doctors couldn't hold her she would maul them and beat them and scratch them and bite them she was an animal she was a frightful one and uh, if we were to tell you all of the things that took place they're unbelievable they're simple unbelievable and she'd say he feeds me black rice and she'd hold out a little dish she had there and she'd eat me. eat they couldn't see a thing and her little belly would puff up full and so they said, "This is the strangest thing that ever happened in any nation on the face of the earth." And and Doctor Lara, the head doctor, told me, he said, "This will never happen in this generation again." He said, "This is one of the strangest phenomena anybody's ever known," and, and he was afraid of his life. He he went out to the Catholic Church, and had them to massage him and lay hands upon him, that he would not be killed by these by these. Uh, and the they had a special healing center out there, and he asked the priest to pray for him. He, they were all Roman Catholics, of course. Now I heard about it after the news one night, when it had been going on for over three weeks. And so after the news, the announcer said, "If you've got a weak heart, turn your radio off. You may you, you may die of fright." Well, you know, you and me, we're not going to turn our radios off. You know, we'd rather die of fright. So I turned mine up. And when I did, I jumped clear out of bed. They brought this little girl on there screaming. He's killing me. He's killing me. They're biting me. And the doctor says, I see the bites. I see the bites. One says, this is epilepsy. Another said, this is a fugue. And, and the doctors were calling. Him, and a little newsman was just sticking his mic and getting the whole thing. He ran out of there, went right over and put it on the air before they could do anything about it. And the whole city knew more than what was in the newspapers now. They heard with their ears for 45 minutes what was going on in Billy Bid prison. And the girls screaming, they're killing me, they're killing me. And the doctor said, what can we do? What can we do? And they were scared too. When it was over, I said to my wife, I said, that woman is demon possessed. That's the kind of thing I found in Java. That's the kind of thing I found in China. That's the kind of thing I found in Europe. That's the kind of thing I found in America. It's over here too. I said, you go to sleep, honey. I'll protect you with my prayers. I went in the front room of our house. I closed the doors and I lay down on my stomach on the floor and I began to cry. I said, God, in the city where I live called Manila, demons are actually eating up a poor human being. And destroyer I still got the clippings some the papers and the magazines it's not a, it's not a joke <laughs> and many people have unbelievingly have gone to the city and found out that what I'm telling you is absolutely true and, and verified in newspapers in every way and, and that it's a true uh, at the end of the year they said the two greatest things that happened in that year was that Max X I became president and that's a summer cast devil devil of the girl in the prison so it was numbered as the number two event of the whole year in their national magazine at the end of the year so it wasn't a small thing when I, it, when I introduced Paul Roberts to the president of that country or Roberts says mr. Roberts in this country Christ is the answer and that's what I called all my work my church and I was called Christ is the answer it still is called Christ is the answer all my campaigns were called Christ is the answer campaigns and he said, said Christ is the answer that would mean that I was the answer to their problems, which was a kind of an overstatement by the president, by the president, but, but the whole nation come to know about uh, the situation in its entirety. But I cried all night. I cried for the girl. I, I cried because I was angry at the devil for hurting people like that. And I just prayed until time to get up. So I got up off the floor, went into the shower and showered. And while I was showering, the Lord said, Go and pray for her and I'll heal her. Oh. I said, Get somebody else. The Lord said, No, hey, you go pray for her and I'll heal her. And I said, I'm not going. I stayed up all night and that's enough. You get somebody else and I kept showering, getting ready to go out for the day. The Lord said, no, you must go and pray for her. Now, I didn't know that that thing would be anything but hard work, no appreciation, and no thanks, and I didn't want to go. I said, God, I don't know anything about jails. I'm not a jail preacher. I've never been inside Benedict Prison. I've heard it's an awful, terrible place. 300 years, the Spanish had it. It's, a, it's an awful uh, suffering center where people were killed, and it was a massacre place, and the Japanese used it during, during the World War here and put thousands of people, including many Americans, in jail, many of them died there. I said, I don't want to go. And as I dressed and stepped out into my car, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I don't have anybody else if you don't go she will die <laughs> well that'll sober you up I paused by the side of my car before getting into it and I said you mean in a city with millions of people you don't have anybody to do anything for you God said well not this said, I don't have a single person in this city they had asked the archbishop to go personally the mayor did and he had a bed cold and he never did get better they put it in the newspapers begging any kind of Christians to come the only ones that showed up were spiritists and they said it was the spirit of John that despite the girl they dismissed them so nobody was there and God said if you don't go I don't have anybody else. I never knew before that God needed me. It gives you a good feeling to know that God needs you. It gives you a good feeling when God says he don't have anybody else but you. And I said, Now listen, God, if you don't have anybody else but you but me, I'll go for you. Even though I don't want to go.
0: That is so powerful. What he just said there. He said, God, I don't want to do this. But God said to him, I don't have anybody else. If you don't do it, that girl's gonna die. And that that just reveals a, a sobering truth. To us, And it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. This is Isaiah's vision of seeing God. And he hears God, and, and this is what it says. And, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then Isaiah, then I said, Here I am, send me. The sobering fact is that there's a lost and dying world, oppressed, possessed, under the influence of the devil, and we can't, as Christians, believe that God's going to send someone else because he's called us to go. And the truth about it is that if we don't go to the people in our schools, if we don't go to the people in our family, if we don't go to the people in our community, they will die. They will go to hell. And we can't push it off on anyone else. We have to take the responsibility and said, say, here I am, Lord, send me.
1: And God said, if you don't go, I don't, I don't have anybody else. I never knew before that God needed me gives you a good feeling to know that God needs you you a good feeling when God says he don't have anybody else but you I said now listen God if you don't have anybody else but you but me I'll go for you even though I don't want to go so I climbed into my car I didn't know where to go so I went to see my I went to see my uh, my architect he was a millionaire magnificent home owned a great shoe factory very wealthy person and a very amiable person and on my way to town so I dropped in and I said uh um, have you heard about the girl bitten by the devil oh followed that for three weeks man ain't that exciting I said no I said I'm gonna go pray for her. oh I'll go with you <laughs> he, he was a Catholic. He, he didn't even know what he was talking about. He just wanted to see a crazy woman. That's all he wanted to see. I said, you know the mayor? Oh, yeah. He swims in my swimming pool very often here when I have parties. He and I are very good friends. I said, can you get into his office without permission? Yeah, yeah. He says, he says the mayor has a private elevator into his inner room, and, and I, I can go right straight through there from underneath the city hall. Now, uh, in that great city of millions of people, the city hall is about two blocks long, about four stories high. And, and so he drove right up underneath it. We went in, uh, into the basement and got into a secret elevator and ended up inside his office. A great, big, a big office. You could put 50, 75 people in it. And he was over a great, big desk, signing paper. Man, he was working himself, signing paper. He was a man with a 17 collar. Stood over six foot and he was a, a, a guerrilla and, and for the americans all during the japanese occupation and he knew what it was to run through the mountains and fight uh, with machine gun hanging on his neck he was a brave man and a strong man um, and uh my friend said arsenio that was his first name and he didn't pay attention he was signing those papers he said arsenio now they were friends but he, he wouldn't even look up there must have been 15 or 20 people in the office you know a mayor a mayor's office is a hectic place and especially in a foreign country where the, everybody wants a wants, wants a friendship thing from them and, and so he was signing his papers he had a stack of them signing them and and finally uh, the man said uh, arsenio here's a man to cast the devil out of who? Brother, that pencil, that pen left his fingers and went clear across the desk. And he, he stood up behind it. He said, What, what, what? <laughs> he, he said, He said, yeah. said, this American here wants to go to Belgium prison. Pray for that girl. Can you get your permission? He walked around and he stood about that much higher than me. And he put his hand over me. He said, uh, he said, don't you know that the doctor is dead and, and that the head jailer is dead? And I don't want an American to be the third one? Oh, I said, I'm not going to die. I said, God spoke to me and said, Cast the devil out of her, so she'll be healed. You know, he's the mayor of this multi-million city and uh, he, he says uh, you won't get hurt now and i said no he said i couldn't afford to let an american get hurt uh, this is a national situation i don't want it to get international and um, I, I said well, mr laxon that was his last name i said mr laxon i won't get hurt i said jesus told me i don't want to do it jesus told me to do it and i'm willing if you're willing he says i'm willing and he told one of the funkies call billy bit <laughs> and so uh, from there uh, my architect and i went across to billy Bid. prison it took us half an hour to get through that big city so we went inside and we searched for the head doctor, and when we found him, he was in the morgue. Uh, he had he had two cadavers behind him uh, that he had been uh, searching out how they died the night before, and, and uh, there with his rubber apron on, uh, what do you want? You know, kind of belligerent. And I said, I've come to pray for Clarita Villanueva bitten by devils. Boy, he got angry. He says, No. He said, I've had eight thousand autopsies here and I've never found a spirit yet. I said, You found Clarita, and you may be next. Who? Then I opened my testament. I said, let me read something to you. I turned to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. And they that have faith shall cast out devils. Who said that? Jesus. Those are the last words he ever said before he went to heaven. Oh, oh. he had never read it in his life. He didn't want to think. Yeah, well, he said it, Jesus said it, it, must be all right. Oh, I said, yeah, it's all right. He says, can you do it? I said, Jesus can do it. He said, they didn't have faith. I have faith. Oh, he said, let's go do it. Let's go do it. How did he get in on it? He didn't get in on it. I was so tired by now. Man, working my way through that Manila traffic, I get into my architect, and get into the mayor, get into Bill a It was about 10.30 in the morning already. I was tired. It was a month of May, and that's the hottest month of the year in Manila. I said, I'm too tired. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and do it. So I left went home, laid down on the floor in a closed room, fasted all day and prayed all day. I hadn't, hadn't slept now in two nights and had eaten in one day and two nights. So when I went the next morning at 8 o'clock, I fasted for two nights and for one day. And I, I felt... The, the, the mighty, the mighty spirit of God. And so I, I prayed all night, and I went the next morning. <laughs> and during the day, the doctor had a good time. He'd call all of his friends, policemen, uh, doctors, uh, university professors, and he had about a, the press, all the world press. He had about 125 observers. When I got there and saw that gang, I said, hey, I only wanted just to pray for her. It was all. He said, if you're going to do anything, you are going to do it before all of us. The whole world knows about this, and you can't do a thing without us seeing it. Well, I said, in that case, let's go. So we went walking from the main part of it across to the women's section, a good city block long. So here, the doctor and I, the two of us walking together. We were strangers. I just met him the morning before. Behind us was Cox's army. Men of brilliant all across. Uh heads of, a, of of police and I don't know whether there were any Navy and army people or not, but they were braided men there. There were women, psychologists and psychiatrists from the University of the Far East across the street from Bid Prison. And here they were. I felt like a, a mouse and 125 tomcats. And I didn't have a chance. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I said, I'm ruined. If they don't like me the newspapers will smear me to i will never fill that big building i'm building never fill it <laughs> i was worried you don't worry about god's work god has all the answers we got over there and they had a room and we all i went in first with the doctor then all this gang came in newspaper men other uh, r- reporters and, and, and writers and so forth and, and men that were doctors and men that were in the military uh, p- police departments and all this cronies they were all there and all they had seen her before had been invited back and so there they were now, i didn't have any idea what i was going to do and the doctor moved over to me and said uh, uh father you see i have three sons that's all right to call me father he said father do you need some incense she says i can get it for you i said well I- i'm just not sure what i might need you just stand by oh says, says, all right so they brought the little girl in she came by all those people and came down to the front she just kind of smiled a little bit you know she wasn't being hurt or anything and, and on down now this thing had been going on for almost four weeks now you see and this thing had bitten her so many times the tooth marks had been that deep in her skin and blood that ran that big all around her it would bite her all around over her body she had faint and be gone for two and three hours and they couldn't bring her back, uh, she, she'd gone into a coma of some kind, it was a terrible, terrible thing, much worse than you've ever dreamed of, just watching me, just much worse than that, so they brought her in, she was a little thing that stood about this tall, and was 17 years old, her mother died when she was 12, and she became a harlot to make a living at 12, she had been with so many men, that she had no idea, sometimes 8 and 10 and 12 a night, she had been abused, and beaten, and kicked around like an animal, until she was now 17, and they picked her up on the streets of Manila for soliciting trade from an officer and threw her in Bilibid prison. Eight, uh, uh, 48 hours later, she was bitten by this monster, this spiritual thing, that was biting her all over her body. And so that's
0: the way the thing developed. And of course- I want to stop right here. I, I can't understand how there are, are Christians today who say that this supernatural stuff does not happen. There is a spirit realm just as real as the natural realm in which we live. It's a very real thing, and just as real, um, you know, just as angels are real and, and uh, heaven is real, there are real demons and there is a real hell. And these are, these are real things that the devil does to people. Possession. Now, if we saw it in Jesus' day, we talk about the d- demoniac in Mark chapter 5, the, the boy who is, who is oppressed by the devil that would throw him down in seizures. If we saw that in the Bible, those demons didn't go away. They're still here on the earth today. And there needs to be a spiritual force that can cast them out. So never forget in your life that there are people in the world like this. Didn't just happen in, in the middle of the uh, 20th century. It's happening today. And God needs you to set these people free. And
1: of course, I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't been reading the newspapers. This was all strange to me. But when she got to me, she hadn't said anything to them. She said, I hate you. I'd never seen her before. she had never seen me before. And I was the only white man there. I was the only Protestant there. And the Spirit of God raised up within me. If you're wondering about the architect, I didn't pick him up the next day. I went by myself. I didn't need him anymore. And he didn't know what it was all about anyway. He wasn't a church man of any kind. He he was a curiosity man, and I didn't need him. So I didn't even go by to pick him up anymore. I went in there by myself. But as soon as she said, I hate you, I grabbed her beside her head on both sides. Now, I didn't know that when a male touched her, the monster would bite. And they had to let female nurses touch her. Because when a man touched her, it's when she would get bitten. A doctor took his hand and put it on top of her hand. That thing instantly bit her, screaming. He lifted his hand. There were the tooth marks and the saliva in the middle of his hand. And it was already, it bit underneath his hand. That'll give you an education in a hurry. He ran for his life. He said, don't ever ask me to come back into a hole of hell and a den of devils. And he he, he exited and got out of there. And so I'm not, I'm talking about life and death. And the whole capital city was so upset until many of them were frightened. And they didn't know, they didn't know what to do. And this thing cursed and said, I hate you. I laid my hands on it. And when I did, that thing bit her. The worst part was on the side of her neck. Where the teeth went in that far, and blood ran like this all over the side, and on the back of her arm, I was holding her head. She wasn't biting herself. On the back of her arm, it sunk its fangs in there deep, and blood was running. It was a filthy mess. And when I did, she fainted. The doctor spoke up. The main doctor said, "Well, I have to quit now." Says when she gets goes unconscious, he's that way for three or four hours. But I was so angry by this time, I said, "No, we're not going to quit." When she fainted away, I kind of caught her, and I held her chin up with one hand, and I beat her side of the head with my fist. I said, "You come back." And I quacked her side of the head. You could hear it in the next cell. And that thing came through like a lion, raging, raging,
0: like a lion, raging. He, like I said, he was a very strong, gruff, uh, rough around the edges, so to speak, kind of man. Um, And it really does show you the anger that you have to have with the things of the devil. You don't respect him in any way. You treat him like an enemy.
1: The doctor looked at one another and said takes us three or four hours to do this. How did he bring her around in 30 seconds? But you see, this was a spiritual warfare now, not natural. And uh, she came to screaming. She cursed God the Father. She cursed God the Son. She cursed God the Holy Ghost. She cursed the blood of Jesus, and she cursed me. In the foulest, dirtiest, filthiest language you have ever heard in your life, that thing blasphemed and cursed. It was the most miserable mess I'd ever heard in my life. After each blasphemy and cursing, the Spirit of the Lord would move upon me, and I would answer back, God the Father is clean and beautiful. The son is not a bastard. He is clean and beautiful. He is God's gift to this world. And I answered all the way through, even to my own self. She called me a son of a bitch. He called me a bastard. And, and many, many, many other things. I said no. The spirit said no and gave me the name of my father, the name of my mother. I was the sixth child out of seven, and that I wasn't, all these things, that the spirit had lied. And after that I said, Come out of her. <laughs> and the Spirit of the Lord came and set her free. Just just powerfully. I said, Where is he?" She said, He went out that window there. He's gone. We set her free by the Spirit and the anointing and the power of. A prayer. Prayer. Prayer that can change the world. Prayer that can change anything. Prayer that can move mountains. Prayer. She was set free. The doctor got so excited he put me in his car, he rushed me over to the mayor's office and said, my God, Mayor, the devil is dead.
0: And, And this girl was completely liberated, but that's not where the miracle ends. So it's, it starts with the deliverance, but watch what happens in the surrounding area because of this one miracle.
1: Oh, I said, now, wait a minute. He may be a good doctor, but he's not a good theologian. I said, the devil is not dead. The devil is not dead. The girl is healed. That big old mayor was so happy. He said, you mean she's normal? I said, yes. You mean she's healed? I said, yes. You should have seen the newspapers that day. My picture was this big on the front page. They had all kinds of headlines. One, one, one of them said, a devil loses round one. They thought there'd be 15 rounds. Another one said, like the doctor, the devil is dead. And, and from that moment we had a following and a nation like very few humans have ever had an in any nation on the face of this earth. The doctor took me to see the mayor and the mayor put his arms around me and said, I sure appreciate you. He says, I want to do something for you. What can I do? I said, I'm trying to build a building. I have part of it up right now. I don't have the proper permits out of your office because I don't have the money to pay for them. He called out to some of his secretaries and in 10 minutes time, they brought out a roll of blueprints and plans this big. He stamped them and signed them. He said they've been in this office for months he stamped them and signed them and handed them to me and said they're free and said you're the first protestant that ever did get anything free says you can have them free he said what else do you want i said well mayor uh uh i said the people need to hear about this and they need to hear about it not from a newspaper but from me he said that's right i said i need the plaza out in front of the city hall here right downtown for a special open-air meeting he suggests you can have it I said can I have it as long as I want it? he said as long as you want it I said just write that down on a piece of paper and sign it please and he did and so I, I walked out of there with two things uh, I, I, I walked out of there with, with plans finished plans for my for my temple that I was building my church out of a b-52 hangar and out of there with permits to preach in the open air soon after that we went into that open air <laughs> oh, by this time the news was everywhere about what God had done and six o'clock in the evening I went on a 50,000 watt radio station and told them what happened the crowd jumped from 10,000 to 20 From twenty thousand to 40 and from 40,000 to 50 and 60,000. But finally, you couldn't count the people. They were too far out there. They came in wagons. They came in every way. Reverend Clifton Erickson was with us. A mighty evangelist. A man of faith. He and I would alternate in preaching and ministering to those people. Oh, what a day. It would take take one whole hour just to tell you the fruit of that meeting. It changed the nation. It really, check, we had 150,000 people who accepted Jesus as their Savior. 150,000, they were from every city, they were from every province, they were from every town. They went back into the whole nation saying, I believe Christ is the answer. All we had above the platform were these words, Christ is the answer. And they'd say, I belong to Christ as the answer. Until finally, the whole nation became full of the words, Christ is the answer. He is the answer. 150,000 found the
0: Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. 150,000 salvations back then, when it was way less populous, populated than it is today, 150,000 salvations, crowds of fifty and 60,000 every night coming from one miracle. Now, here's the encouragement. Number one, you should watch the rest of these, uh, these uh, videos. The, the, his life story is such a faith-building story. Um, but here's the encouragement. It only took one act of obedience that sounded crazy to Lester Summerall. And 150,000 people were saved and the church was built. Now, whatever, whenever God speaks to you, a lot of times you might think it's crazy. I can't even imagine being in his position and God speaking to me and telling me, I want you to you know, pray for that. I mean, it was national headlines. It was international headlines. A girl being bitten by devils. A girl demon-possessed so crazy that she had to be put into a prison. And God telling me, go pray for that girl. I'm going to set her free. The, the, the boldness that you have to have is insane. And, but, but he followed the voice of God, did what God said. And because of that, 150,000 souls were saved in that city. Let this be an example to you of, of the, what, what your boldness can do. What can God do through you in one act of obedience? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Again, if you like these style of videos where we where we're reacting to um, old videos, old miracles, to keep these legacies alive, put it in the comments. Drop drop a comment. Let us know, and we'll continue to make this kind of content. I love you, and I'll see you next week.